Yeah, I mean, I think this is what this is what separates out the kind of twee Christmas carols from the really good ones is that it's not just about what happened at Christmas it's about why it happened and it's kind of like yeah babies are cute and everything but do, do you get what's happening here like this is God himself taking on flesh in order to save us like that's just mind-blowing And we're getting ever closer to Christmas here at Him Partial, the podcast where we talk all things church music. I'm Cara Devereaux. And I'm Monet Funka. And today we're continuing our countdown to Christmas with beloved hymn, Oh Come All Ye Faithful. Whose song is it anyway? We'll take a brief look at some ancient texts. And lastly, we need to get real about Little Drummer Boy. All that and more in just a minute. But first, we have an exciting giveaway. It's still running. Kate from Between Sundays has created an exclusive print right here featuring the lyrics of Amazing Grace for our Hymn Partial family. You could be the lucky winner of this print, but you will need to be subscribed to our free newsletter to enter. So please go to our website, hymnpartial.com, for further details. The giveaway ends December 31st, 2020. Make sure you go and check out Between Sundays by Kate on Instagram to see her lovely designs. Oh, come all ye faithful, as we learn about this Christmas carol. This one was a challenge, I will tell you that. For a song so well known, its history is the exact opposite. Thought to have been written around the 1740s, this song has changed ownership more times than a used Honda. Let's dig in. So the most common person credited with having written this song is an English chap named John Francis Wade. Um, why him, you might ask? Well, the earliest Latin manuscripts of this song, originally titled Adeste Fidelis, were found dating back to the 1740s with his signature on the corner. So he wrote it, right? Makes sense. Makes sense. Well, the answer is maybe. See, Wade was a sort of scribe, or in that day he was called a copyist. His job was to copy and transpose musical manuscripts, which he found in the libraries. This was before the photocopy machine was invented. So if you wanted a page of something in a library, then you needed to sit down and write it out. His signature in the corner could be explained away by vanity as his calligraphy was just really really good um, and a client might even have asked him to sign his name to his work I mean you don't get a job as a copyist with rubbish handwriting do you <laughs> you would hope not <laughs> you, would, you would hope not I could not get a job as a copyist <laughs> they'd be like I don't know what any of this says <laughs> um but yeah, it wasn't the case for Wade. Uh, his name was found on not just one, but multiple manuscripts of this song. Coincidentally, Wade was also the first person to publish this song in a book of hymns titled Cantus Diversi. But wait, this song was also known as the Portuguese hymn due to the fact that the Duke of Leeds heard it performed at the Portuguese embassy in 1795. Now, if you're keeping track, 
that still is after Wade supposedly wrote it in 1740. But the twist is that King John IV of Portugal, known as the Musician King, was credited as the author of the Portuguese hymn. But he lived and died before Wade was alive, before his time. Ooh. Ooh. And there were original manuscripts of the Portuguese hymn found in his palace that were dated back to 1640, a century before Wade's copies. So, Kara, who do you think should get the credit? Well, when you were saying the king said he wrote it, I was like, well, of course he did, because he's the king. You can't argue with him. But if, you know, he's got manuscripts in his palace well before this guy Wade, then chances are it wasn't Wade. I don't know who it was for sure. But I'm sure there's going to be more, isn't there? (laughs) It is silly how much more there is, uh, Kara. But... I mean, you're right. We can't really know. I think I think it just depends on where you fall in terms of your your knowledge of history, your knowledge of how people date manuscripts and the political influence of certain things going on at that time. I would not know. But I know some modern musicologists have argued that the Portuguese hymn isn't really the same song we know today. So they would still credit Wade as the original writer of Adestus Fidelis. I mean, it goes back to something we've talked about many times on this show about translations. How do we really say that song that really translated looks nothing like the version we know is the same song? I don't know. There might be similar themes. It might have a similar tune. Um, It's really hard to say. You wonder... You wonder if it's one of those situations where, you know, you watch a movie and it's like based on true events and you're kind of like very loosely based. I wondered if maybe (laughs) it was the same with hymns where someone sees a hymn and they really like it and they're like, oh, yeah, this is my rendition of the hymn. But it's not it's not really the same thing. Or also, like you see this happen in movies where it'll be like one year two movies come out and they're almost the exact same plot. And you're like, wait, how did this happen? Like who greenlit two movies when they knew this other one was already out or one movie when they knew this other one was already out? Like, I think there's a movie like called like Volcano or something. And then that same year Dante's Peak came out and it's like the same concept. Like, you know, there's a volcano erupting and they have to run away. And you just think like, really? Same, same year? (laughs) There's a lot of instances like that. So it could be, It could be that. I don't know. But Wade's version wasn't the final word. Um, His verse had four, his version had four verses in it. But if you fast forward to uh, later on in the 18th century, a French Catholic priest named, gonna butcher this, Jean-Francois Etienne (laughs) Baudry. That's called just saying words like a French person, but not actually speaking French. Um, I'm just going to call him Jean-Francois. But he he picked up the hymn and added an additional three verses to it. Now, I couldn't find the full seven verses anywhere. However, um, the version we sing today is some combination of Wade's original version and the 2.0 version by... The French priest. (laughs) 
Um, what's important to note about Jean-Francois's version is that the verses he added were um, said to have completed the Christmas story that Wade, Wade or the Portugal uh, king, I don't know, uh, started. Um, now, this is where things get kind of silly. So this this song spread a lot in the English-speaking world when it was translated in the 19th century from Latin to English by Frederick Oakley. Um, it was Oakley's version that really picked up steam. Uh, be- and at that time, it was called Ye Faithful Approach Ye. <laughs> this thing is fun to say. That's a bit more of a mouthful. Like, I just know I would get that that wrong yeah ye faithful approach ye it's just it's very like a it's a silly way of speaking it's, but it's the sort I, of thing you'd see like in one of those like robin hood taking the mick out of robin hood things and there's the yes. guard at the gate and he'd be like ye faithful approach ye like, <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly um and this frederick oakley guy i looked into him real briefly he was apparently someone called a tractarian um, which was like a branch of Catholicism that turned into Anglo-Catholicism. They had like a high view of church. Think of like a lot of liturgy, like old Catholic liturgy kind of stuff like that. So I find that interesting considering he translated this song of all songs um, and his version is the one that really, really took off. Now for the tune again, So I said things would get silly. Just brace yourself. Um, It's hard to get straight answers here. Of course, Wade is credited with composing the original music as it was his name at the bottom of the score. Uh, But then in some publications, his friend, Thomas Augustine Arne, is listed as the composer. It's also been credited to another copyist and organist named John Redding. However, he also lived and died before... This was supposedly written. The music has also been attributed to two fairly famous German composers, one by the name of Gluck, also fun to say, (laughs) and another dude named Handel. (laughs) Oh, we like him, yeah. We like him. He gets credit for a lot of stuff he hasn't done. The stuff he's done is great enough. I don't know why people are trying to chuck more stuff on on his plate. A few Portuguese guys had to get some credit as well, of course. Uh, King John IV of Portugal. He was uh, supposedly the composer of this song. And then another guy whose name was literally Marcos Portugal, which I just think is really cool. (laughs) Both have been credited as composers in various publications in Portugal. All I could say is that whoever composed the music, thank you. (laughs) It's a classic and it's truly so joyful to sing. But whoever they are, it is a complete mystery. We don't know who wrote this song. We don't know who composed this song. It just kind of appeared. It was like a gift from heaven, (laughs) Um, which is really intense. Yeah. It sounds like there was a bunch of people that saw it and were like, oh, hey, that's a great song. Uh, I'm just going to say it's mine because like no one else has claimed it yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> claimed. Yeah, it it is. It is strange. I think it goes to show like it doesn't it doesn't really matter who wrote it. You know, it, is it a song that glorifies God? It does it honor God. Is it praise to him? 
it really is the object of the song that's more important than the person who wrote it. Though we do like to give credit where credit's due, it's just in this case, so many people are trying to take credit for it. <laughs> or their their name is being smacked onto the song like at the last minute just to give it some sort of, I don't know, credibility. I mean, I'm happy to throw my hat in the ring and say I wrote yeah. it and dare you prove <laughs> me different. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's just as valid. Who cares if it was supposedly written before you were alive? <laughs> <laughs> so it's not really the same matter. song the the one that was written before I was alive it's yeah different. yeah it's different slightly um <laughs> so uh, lastly a fun but edifying detour into fun fact land um the lyrics of this song are really great um and really celebratory of the birth of Jesus and what it means to the world and particularly to the faithful um, but Kara, you're a theology nerd. I wonder if you hear anything familiar in verse two of the hymn. I'll read it to you now. God of God, light of light, lo, he abhors not the virgin's womb, very begotten, very God, begotten, not created. Does this sound familiar to you like a certain creed? Yes. You know which I, one? Uh, I want to say the apostles, but it might be the Nicene. I'm it not is sure. I'm Nicene. not super good on creeds. No, you guessed it. It's the Nicene Creed of 325 AD. It's it's pretty much lifted and, and shifted from there. This is what that verse or that um, section in the Nicene Creed says. We believe in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. Gotta love it, right? <laughs> yeah. So really, it's who is the original writer of this hymn? <laughs> I kid, I kid. I just thought that journey into fun fact land uh gives us a, a a glimpse at the high view of god that we see in this christmas favorite whoever wrote it which is really your best guess the song itself is really christ exalting it's like lifting him up i'm thinking about the gentleman who transposed it or translated it from uh latin to english who was this tractarian who had this high view of church well he also had a high view of god because this particular song it just puts him right at the tip top. There's no, there's no higher you can get than how uh, Christ is described in this hymn. Um, and I love the verse of the song that reads, Yea, Lord, we greet thee, born this happy morning. Jesus to thee be glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. So that last bit, Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing. Kara, do you know where this comes from in scripture? Um, I feel like I should, and it's like on the tip of my tongue. But it's, I do love this verse. It always kind of feels like the song swells to that point. But in yes. terms of scripture, like I have a feeling it'll be an epistle, one of Paul's epistles, but I could be wrong. You know, it might be in there as well. I was thinking of John 1. Um, and actually, 
I didn't warn you, but do you mind pulling up John 1, 1 to 5, and reading that for us? John 1, 1 to 5. Um, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Yeah. Word of the Father. And there John is clearly saying that the word of God is Jesus. You know, that's... That's who it is. And now he's in flesh. Now he's in flesh appearing. Now we see him. He's the word of God. And now there he's right over there. We can go touch him. So I really do like this um, reflection here in the song, the whole song. I mean, Kara, do you have a favorite verse of this song? Um, It's hard to think of the lyrics off the top of my head. But like I said, that one about um, word and flesh appearing it always feels like the whole song's building up to that yes and you kind of get to that verse and you're like oh this is what Christmas is all about it's amazing yep yeah I think like what we were saying in in previous episodes this this song made our short list because it's more than just about Christ being born it's about um you know that crescendo to him being the word of God God in the flesh here around, like we could touch him. He's actually accessible. We could have communion with him. Um, and this is a sight, sight to see. And it's a sight to uh, sing about, I think. Um, any final thoughts, Cara? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think this is what, this is what separates out the kind of twee Christmas carols from the really good ones is that it's not just about, what happened at Christmas it's about why it happened and mm. it's kind of like yeah babies are cute and everything but do, do you get what's happening here like this is God himself taking on flesh in order to save us mm-hmm. like that's just mind-blowing um but yeah that's one of the things that makes these hymns so great well talking of hymns about little babies and going to see them we thought that this week we'd also talk about a song which may be well known to many of you, which is called Little Drummer Boy. Mm-hmm. Um, and the reason that we wanted to talk about this is because, um, is it actually a song we should be singing at Christmas? This is potentially awkward because one of my favourite bands for King and Country, <laughs> they released their Christmas album in November and the theme was Drummer Boy Christmas. <laughs> and I was kind of like, oh no. <laughs> Um, yeah, so should we be singing this? That's the big question. Yeah. And there's a story. Oh. But first, I'm going to tell you where the song came from. It's another one where different people are claiming that they wrote bits and they maybe didn't. Okay. (laughs) So before I got famous, Little Drummer Boy was known as the carol of the drums. Because, you know, most of the lyrics are pro-pum-pum. Um... It is believed to have been written by a lady called Catherine K. Davis in 1941. Mm. And it's supposed to have been based on an old Czech carol. But like 
Come All Ye Faithful, there's questions about whether it was actually based on that carol or whether it was just vaguely the same Mm. idea. So I'm saying that Catherine K. Davis wrote it, except that it might also have been Henry Honorati or Harry Simeone who wrote it. Okay. Or it could have been a collaboration. Oh. <laughs> it's look, it looks like a collaboration. Um, but it's hard to tell because the three of them actually took credit for the tune, even though the granddaughter of a man called Jack Halloran claimed that Jack Halloran had written the music and that these other three had kind of passed it off as their own. Ooh, controversy. Yeah, I don't know what the truth is. Um, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. So the drum rhythm that makes the tune so special, even then, presumably, um, was an accident. Really? Yeah, it was an accident. Davis had written it in order to help the chorus harmonise between soprano tune with an alto harmony and then the tenor and bass parts. Mm-hmm. It was for the rehearsals only. <laughs> so it, it was kind of like a guide to help them harmonise. It was never intended to actually be in the final the final song. Interesting. Yeah. And somehow the notes just never got taken out. And that's why we have these famous drum beat lines that everybody knows about and everybody loves. The pump well, Everybody that loves the tune loves. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And it's interesting to think it would never have been the same without that. So somehow the notes, the drum beat notes never got taken out. And we have them still today. Hmm. But to be fair, you kind of expect a song about a drummer to have a good rhythm, right? Yeah, you'd hope so. Makes sense, yeah. So this song has been weirdly popular over the years. Like I said, for King and Country have performed it multiple times and they've based pretty much based this year's Christmas album around it. Mm-hmm. And then our old favourites, Pentatonics, they've covered it. That's right, um, that's right. They picked it up in, in um, 2013 and they hit number one with it. Wow. Yeah. I think Jack Black, the actor, also did a version, which surprised <laughs> me. That is I didn't surprising. I sang. Well, he's very atheist, but I guess if this song is not but about is Jesus. is it a Christmas oh. song? <laughs> <laughs> so um, for those of you who don't know, Jack Black is the guy who voices Kung Fu Panda. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> one of the weirdest crossovers I thought was when Bing Crosby and David Bowie, Bowie, yeah, Bowie. Did, did like a, a Christmas episode together where they sang this. Yeah. Um, I thought that was super weird because they're such different guys. It's pretty but famous that was, collaboration, that, that song. It's televised. Yeah. 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 It was actually aired after Bing Crosby's death. He recorded wow. it a few months before he died. Wow. They almost never did it as well, but that's like a whole other story. If you're interested, just like ask. Fun or fact. Google it. Did I tell you that Bing Crosby is related to Fanny Crosby? That makes so much sense. I was like, nah, but they are. That's crazy. That's kind of vaguely satisfying as well. I know. Anyways, carry on. Yep. Um, but here's a question. Why a drummer boy? And where does that even come from? There's no drummer boy in the Bible. There's no drummer in the Bible. Mm. Um, this song is actually born out of a folk story. 
Hmm. Which I am about to tell you. All right. So, it's set in Jerusalem. There's this little boy, and he wakes one night to see a bright parade going by. Now, his parents had bought him a drum for his previous birthday, and he figures this is a great opportunity to use it, and he might ne- never get an opportunity like this again to be part of a parade like this. Mm. So he grabs the drum and he sneaks out in the middle of the night and he joins this fabulous parade, falling in behind the last camels and whatever. And he's playing away on his drum. And it's late, of course. So the people in Jerusalem are pretty mad and they're like throwing things from his window and telling him to be quiet. Mm. And he's kind of like all caught up in it, playing his little heart out. And before he knows it, they're in Bethlehem in a stable full of people that have come to see the baby. Mm, I see. So the boy, he's kind of in the back and he notices that everyone there from kind of the really super rich wise men down to the shepherds, down to like this poor little widow, they've all brought something to give to the baby. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's heard so much about this baby and they all present their gifts and eventually they leave until it's just a little boy that's left Mm -hmm. and nobody's noticing him and he's just kind of like standing in a corner feeling all sad and disappointed with himself that he didn't bring a gift Mm -hmm. um so not knowing what else to do he's just like okay I'll just play my drum then so he starts playing his drum and he starts playing it louder and louder and he plays it with his his whole heart And the baby turns and makes a noise and smiles at him, which in the story is the first time all night with all these gifts that he's actually reacted to anything anyone has given him. Hmm. So the moral of the story is basically that the drummer boy played in love and he gave the only thing that he had. And that's like the greatest sacrifice and the greatest gift. That's a nice story. That's a nice little tale it is it's totally not biblical but it's really sweet (laughs) it's a very nice that's see as you were re as you were telling me this story i imagined like a board book or maybe like a children's book and like all the illustrations to go along with it but it didn't feel like it was grounded in reality at all it was just kind of like this is a beautiful story so i'm gonna Take all the rapapum pumming out and just read you the lyrics. Mm-hmm. Once I've read the lyrics, if you could read Psalm 6930 for us. So the lyrics without all the drumming and stuff getting in the way goes like this. Come, they told me, a newborn king to see. Our finest gifts we bring to lay before the king and so to honour him when we come. Little baby, I am a poor boy too. I have no gift to bring that's fit to give the king. Shall I play for you on my drum? Mary nodded. The ox and lamb kept time. I played my drum for him. I played my best for him. Then he smiled at me, me and my drum. <laughs> it's It's so... It's so literal now that you say it like it's just the story in a song form. Yeah. So it's kind of just like it's super simple, but because it's got all that rhythm in it, you kind of lose the story a little bit. So if you have Psalm 6930 there. Mm -hmm. 
I will praise the name of God with a song. I will magnify him with thanksgiving. Yeah. So I honestly expected this to be another little donkey style fluff fest. Mm-hmm. Um, although this one's disguised in a catchy tune. But I actually feel like I stand corrected. So <laughs> the idea of a drummer boy so often shown in like Regency or Victorian army uniform is mm-hmm. a bit jarring. You're kind of like, why a drummer? Mm-hmm. But the sentiment behind the song is actually really one that resonates. It's kind of like, I'm a poor boy to, I have no gift to bring. This isn't one I sing in church, but I don't think it needs to be entirely crossed off our Christmas playlists just yet. What do you think? So I guess what you're arguing is that the the heart of the song is the humility and the and the nothingness that we bring to Christ. It's like uh what's the um what's the song? Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. It's that it's that same sentiment that you know, we don't have anything fit to give the king and yet he still shows favor on us. Is that your argument? Yeah, because yeah. I mean, you've got like all the other people giving the gifts and, you know, the wise men were bringing gold and incense and myrrh. Mm-hmm. And it, it's when this little boy plays that Jesus kind of turns and is like, yay, in whatever baby language. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. I probably would still sit on the side of things that this is a nice cultural tune you know we 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 all kind of recognize this song as like yeah little drummer boy but it doesn't really point to the um the grace and the forgiveness and the the miracle of Christ coming and living and dying for us you know it's just it's it's not a church song no 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 like I would say that it's definitely not a church song, but I don't think it's one where we have to say we absolutely should not sing this. No, no, no. And I think there's there's probably few things I would say that about. I would say, yes, we should be discerning in church because we're there to praise God. Like this song is not appropriate at all to sing in a church service because it has nothing to do with the praise and the worship of God. It is a nice thing to reflect on the heart of the person who is accepted by him is a humble person. It's a person who realizes they don't have anything to bring their prestige in this life means nothing when it comes to their righteousness or unrighteousness before God. So I think I would be on the fence about saying that this isn't a bit on the cheesier side of things, but I do understand your point. And I think you're kind of convincing me a little bit. Um, but no, I would sing this song like on a Tuesday, like just, you know, rocking out next to my Christmas tree. Uh, but I, I wouldn't, I don't see any like real depth there. It feels a bit more shallow. Yeah. Than, yeah. No, I'm absolutely with you. It is super cheesy. I mean, you've got like him playing his drum and it's like the ox and lamb kept time. And it's yeah. like, really? <laughs> <laughs> if that's so why heart. I said it feels like a children's book. It feels yeah. like something that, you know. The heart behind the song is kind of like, it's sweet and it's true, mm-hmm. but it, it's not got that that depth that you would want from A Christmas Carol. Yeah, definitely. 
Well, thank you so much for that, Kara. I think I have some things to reflect on in terms of Little Drummer Boy. And, uh, you know, it was also nice to reflect on Oh Come All You Faithful. Um, these are songs that we grew up singing and they've been around for a very, very long time. We're happy to speak about any song, but we are really appreciative of the ones that lift up the name of Christ and show us some of his character as we read in scripture and allow us to sing those praises as well. But that just about wraps up this episode of Him Partial. Uh, don't forget, there is still time to enter our giveaway, which ends on December 31st, 2020. If you want to find out more information about how to join, make sure you go to himpartial.com where you have more details there. Uh, we also have some really fun stuff going on on our social media accounts for Christmas. So make sure you follow us at Him Partial on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Twitter. Um, we're looking forward to next week, which is Christmas week. So make sure you subscribe so you don't miss another episode. Until then, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Bye. Bye.